Today in Canadian History for June 30th, I'm Mark Affeld. It's the day before Canada Day, a cross-country day of celebration. Friends and family come together to take part in a parade or enjoy a fireworks display. Well, for decades, many people in the Chinese-Canadian community have referred to July 1st as Humiliation Day. The Chinese Immigration Act was passed on June 30th, 1923. At the time, legislation existed controlling the number of immigrants coming from most nations. However, China was the only nation that was under what was basically an outright ban. There were very few exceptions as to who was allowed into Canada. Britt Bratton, the curator and manager of the Multicultural History Society of Ontario, explains. Um, so the, the Exclusion Act... Um they say basically it virtually excluded Chinese immigration um, to Canada, and that means there were a few exceptions. Um, for the most part, Chinese immigration halted altogether. Um, the exceptions were for people that they saw as um, legitimately temporary immigrants, so they weren't seen as adding to the Chinese population in Canada in any serious way. So those were, say, members of the diplomatic corps, um, Merchants who, at this time, there were, you know, you had to prove you were a merchant under, um, and there were sort of ways you had to prove that, um, or a student while you were at school and you had to have documentation that said, you know, I am attending this school. Um, and then as soon as you, especially if you were a student, you know, once you stopped being a student, you were no longer allowed to stay. Um, and then also Canadian-born children um, of Chinese parents, um, if they were born in Canada, and say, when maybe, you know, people, they'd be sent to China for their schooling, say, they were allowed to come back. Um, but other than that, and that's in numbers terms, that's a very small number of people that qualified as, um, as in, under those categories. So the vast majority of Chinese Canadians, um, or Chinese people, essentially weren't allowed to come to Canada um, while this act was in place. And the main one of the main things um, is that the p Chinese population in Canada before this act was enacted um, was pr overwhelmingly male. Um, there were some women, but overall, it was very a lot, a lot of men, and a lot of them either had wives in China already and maybe families, or they would during their time in Canada travel back to China and marry. But these wives weren't allowed to come into Canada under this law. Where did the pressure for these immigration restrictions on China come from? I mean, uh, were they something that the people wanted or something that politicians, or, or, or where did they come from? In, I mean, a lot of the pressure was coming from the West Coast, from B.C. in particular, and not because B.C. was inherently more racist or anything, but because that's where most of the Chinese population lived. Um, and especially, you know, and, and I mean, when the the Chinese Immigration Act was passed, this was in your know, post World War One sort of economic slump, um, and because you know, not only did BC have a lot of Chinese people in general, but because they were mostly laborers and they were mostly men, who then there was this whole rhetoric of you know taking our jobs type of idea, and that's sort of what sparked a lot of this. Um, was this was an easily identifiable group that could be seen as the other, and there were all these laborers, so they must be taking jobs from white people, and this whole sort of idea. Um, and so it wasn't. So the, I mean, 
you know, not to say all politicians or all people believed this, but there was strong support um, in di- across in different political parties. This wasn't sort of only one party who supported this sort of thing. Were there restrictions on on immigration from China prior to 1923? Yeah. Oh, yes. So before the Exclusion Act um, in 1885 in May, they enacted the um, the head tax, and it was fifty dollars to begin. Um, and this was on Chinese laborers and their families. So the exemptions I was talking about earlier, and students, and diplomats, and merchants, um, you, this, these same people were exempt at this time from paying the head tax. Um, and then over from 1885, um, then the head tax was raised again to um, to $100 and then up to $500. And they say that $500 at that time represented about two years' wages. So that's sort of an approximation to get an idea that this was not an insignificant sum. Um, so what that meant is, you know, Chinese people were still coming, Chinese laborers were still coming, and um, sometimes they would borrow the money to pay this head tax, or there would be sort of a labor um, contractor who would pay it, and then they would have to pay it back and things like that. Um, but what it meant is that it really it further exacerbated sort of the gender imbalance within the community because if you're going to have to pay $500 to come, which is two years' wages, and you're much less likely to bring your wife along with you and have to pay $1,000 then or bring any children. And, you know, so um, so it really created this society where there were a lot of these single, you know, single in quotation marks because a lot of them did have wives and children, but they were back in China. And so there were all these men in Canada. Um, and, you know, there were a few women and they had to live in this male-dominated society as well. Um, so... So that's sort of what was going on under the law. And then by 1923, there was sort of a feeling that the, you know, this law wasn't effective enough in terms of restricting Chinese immigration. And so that's when the push for the the Exclusion Act came about. It was also worth noting that the, you know, just because the, the Chinese were the only sort of nationality that was specifically targeted like this, but you know, Canada didn't have open arms to everyone else. You know, they think places like Japan agreed to the to a voluntary um, sort of quota system where they would only send over X number of immigrants, and so so there was no no law, though no formal law like that. J- Japan sort of limited itself, and China didn't do that. So instead, this law was passed. <laughs> Today is a day full of Canadian history. A tornado hit the heart of Regina on this day back in 1912, killing 28 people. The first transcontinental train journey across Canada left Montreal on this date back in 1886. The loony was introduced to the public by the Royal Canadian Mint on this day back in 1987. And as always, we aired this episode of Today in Canadian History. Today in Canadian History is produced by CJSW 90.9 FM. The executive producers are Joe Burma and Mark Affeld. Original music is produced by the Fisk, Fletcher, and May Trio. Our series is not meant to be a definitive source on our past. Instead, we hope that it sparks a desire to learn more about our unique history. 
For more information on the series or to recommend an event or moment, check out our website at cjsw.com slash today in Canadian history. And now it's time for your final Canadiana quiz. On this day back in 1997, an Angus Reid poll showed that only 30% of Canadian students could name John A. Macdonald as the first Prime Minister. Now that's too easy for you. 227 odd episodes in and you're listening all the way through to the end of the last one. First of all, thank you. No, really. Thanks. So your final Canadiana quiz, which of these men were not a Canadian Prime Minister? John Abbott, Mackenzie Bowell, William Lyon Mackenzie, or Arthur Meegan? The answer is William Lyon Mackenzie. His grandson, William Lyon Mackenzie King, became Prime Minister, but William Lyon Mackenzie was only Mayor of Toronto. You think I was going to make the last one an easy one? 